hopefully, as you've been tracking with us on this uh, journey that we're going through, uh, that's really depicted best on the front of your bulletin. If you see it, you know that it describes uh, uh, really within the form of art some stories that happened in the book of Genesis, particularly Genesis chapters uh, 1 through 11. I call that part of the Bible um, the train and then the train wreck. Because pretty much after the first two chapters, it does go off the rails and it really goes off the rails as it unfolds. And there are a lot of people who come into churches and they wonder why. Why are bad things happening to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God seem to be so distant? Why am I struggling in my own personal life? Why am I struggling with my relationship with other people? And then some of you may be asking as you step back a little bit farther, why is there things in the world like earthquakes and tornadoes and school shootings? Why, Lord? And then maybe you step a little bit farther back and you say, why is there evil at work and in play in the, in the world that we're called to live in? Isn't this supposed to be a good place? Because if you read through the first couple chapters of the Bible, you find that it says when God created things and he made them according to their own kind. And after he did, he said that each was very good. And then, you know what? When he made you and I, he said, we're, we're, we're just the most awesome part of the, of the whole creative act. That is man, male, male and female in relationship. By design, that was God's way of saying, I've created everything in order so that Man, male, and female can, can enjoy life together and bear children and begin to populate the earth and do so in an orderly fashion. But if you fast forward through the storyline, you find that in 2018, we live in a moment where each of us would say, I carry a little bit of fear. I carry some uncertainty. There are some questions that I have that I really don't know if God even has the answer for. And if that's the case, maybe what we're going to be sharing today and what we have shared and what we'll share uh, through the remainder of this series will help you clarify some things. Because what God has done is he's given us perhaps some reasons why things are the way they are. Now coming from Illinois, uh, we have tornadoes out there and we're heading into that season where people are starting to look into the sky and they're, they're seeing these clouds begin to form in such a way that uh, uh, the coloration and the, the twisting nature of them tells them they better find shelter. But what you probably didn't know is that the, 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 the episode of a tornado happening isn't just something that regionally occurs within uh, the, the, the overhead of a community and comes down and devastates it. But did you know that it, I, I didn't know this until I was in junior high and high school. Did you know that tornadoes can also uh, occur in specific places? Meaning that when my mother would walk into my bedroom and she would look at it, she would say, it looks like there's been a tornado in here. And at first I would shrug, but she said it often enough. You know how you repeat something long enough, you start to believe it? <laughs> and uh, eventually uh, I, I sort of clued into it and I realized, you know what? As I look on TV and as I look at my room, there is really no comparison uh, that can be made other than uh, my bedroom and that place are almost identical in the aftermath. Well, I've discovered something through the process of marriage that 
God has forces at work that try to take the chaos and all of the undoing that's happening in creation and bring them back into order. Through the process of marriage, I've learned to find some order in my own life. And if you were to walk into our house and go back to our bedroom and open the door and look into my closet in particular, you would find something that would be nothing short of a miracle. It's the anti-tornado antidote. That is... I've discovered that if I keep my suits here, my dress shirts here, my winter shirts there, my uh, long sleeve shirts here, my, uh, my, 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 my pants over here, and my t-shirts over there, and my polos over there, and all of these are in nice array. I open up my door, and you can almost hear angels singing. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And I, 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 I almost had to pinch myself because I'm that guy that used to be the tornado attractor. Now I'm the tornado repeller. What is the difference? Well, the difference, other than the influence of a very long-suffering wife, is simply one was chaos, and that was my world, and that was probably uh, an indication of what was going on inside my heart and my head up until the time that I found the Lord, and the other one is order. And if I were to be given a choice between one or the other, I would take order 10 times out of 10. I got up this morning. I didn't even have to think about putting clothes on. I'm just like, that, that, and that. And then my wife would go, no, that, that, and that. And then we're good. So, but I'm getting there. And as I'm looking at that, I'm thinking about what we're sharing together in, on Sunday mornings. And I realize that when God put everything into order, it was his way of saying, when things are in order, they work. You can find things. You can manage your life. You're not distracted by things that are in disorder. They won't consume all of your attention and all of your energy. The chaos won't suck the life out of you. And when God said, I'm going to make every creature after its own kind, I'm going to make every space in the appropriate way so that it accomplishes what it needs to do. I'm going to make man and woman, male and female in a, a family that is dedicated towards covenantal love and, and, and the energy of the sexuality that they will have between them will be basically specifically directed towards each other. And that is part of my ordering. And if you look at how God has done it. We have, we have buildings and we have spaces and we have land and we have clouds and we have sunshine and we have rivers and oceans and all of this forms a system that God has put into place that says when these things are in order it works. It becomes an environment that is conducive to the well-being of all the parties affected including us. And yet here we are, 2018, and these things are not what they need to be at every front. If we just turn on our television, we find that there is chaos in all the places that God initially put into order. And we ask the question, why? And if you're disconnected from the biblical storyline, you're going to be asking that question for a very long time. However, some of us have come to the realization that the people like Abraham and Moses and David and ultimately Jesus actually had some pretty wise things to say about how we can live our lives in the here and now. And I, I, I would guess that many of us are in this room because we know there's a little bit of chaos going on and we need the Lord. 
And the Lord is really the only answer to the problems that we face. As we look back at these stories, we find that uh, there is an initial act that creates disorder. And it begins with the garden in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve decide to listen to another voice other than the voice of God. And when they did, that's when it all began to unravel. And that voice said, you can do it your way. You can make up your own rules and it'll be fine. Well, have you ever just tried to make up your own rules? You know, like speed limit says 55 and you say, I can't drive 55. Maybe even sing the song. And you realize that, well, you know what? If everybody felt that way, then... There'd be a lot of people that are no longer living. And it just goes on and on. And as the story unfolds, you find that there is, uh, out of the union of Adam and Eve, there are two children that, that, that emerge. And one of them, his name is Cain, and the other one is Abel. And Abel is someone who is trying to do the right thing, to be godly, and he gives an offering. And Cain looks at the situation, and he says, but I want to do it my way. And his discontent about God's response to his brother brews in such a way that he's angry and then he's resentful and that turns into bitterness and that harbored long enough resulted in a plan to kill his brother who basically frustrated him. And then the story unfolds in an unraveling way even farther where Cain is, is cursed at that point and he's told to go to the place beyond the place that Adam and Eve were relegated to after they had sinned. And it says Cain became a restless wanderer. And then Cain said, I'm going to do this because I see a woman that I would love to marry. And so he calls her to be his wife. But shortly thereafter, he says, I see another woman that I would love to marry, and he calls her to be his wife. So pretty soon, he's got two wives, and he's beginning the process of just doing it his own way. In the scripture, we find that he has children and grandchildren and on down the line, and it also indicates that because Cain had decided to just give in to the forces of chaos that his family is known well have you ever done a genealogy I don't know if you've done the, the, the 23andMe or, or Ancestry.com and maybe some of you have a genealogist in your family and they've gone to the courthouse and they said oh look you know we have Martha Washington is, is one of our great ancestors and then on down to you know somebody maybe during the, the, the Civil War perhaps it's Robert E. Lee or somebody like that and you're taking some pride in that but then there's another line and that happens to go in a way that you don't really care to hear because it turns out uh, that person was a horse thief. And before they were hung, there was a child and that person became a horse thief. And you're like, uh, that, that's the bad line. We don't talk about them. And the Bible says there is a bad line and we're going to talk about them because they're part of the reason why you and I, when we come into this room, feel the way we do. Because they did what they felt like doing. And as they live their life out. Genesis 4 and chapter 5 tell the story of the two lines. One is Cain and one is the son that Adam and Eve had to replace the son that was murdered. 
Can you imagine having to process that? And yet they had this son, and that son was a pretty decent son. And the Bible tells a lot about his life in terms of being a good person, and then all of those who came after him. Have you ever read through the, the opening chapters of the Bible, and you look at the ages of these people? 700, 800, one of them is over 900 years of age. And you go down that list and you think, why in the world were those people living so long? Well, God had actually wired us to do that initially. But as things began to occur over time, it became clear to God that for whatever reason, we are drawn to chaos. We're drawn to doing our, our own way. And that's where we pick up a very strange passage of scripture from Genesis chapter 6. I have a lot of people ask me questions about the Bible, but I, I got to tell you, hands down, Genesis 6 is the one place that people have said, what the heck is going on there? And if you've never considered it, I'll uh, provoke your curiosity a little bit by going through the first eight verses. But if you can imagine things being where they are, and God finally saying it's time to hit the brakes on all of this unfolding of wickedness, because it's not, it's not what I had in mind. It, it, it's beyond the aftermath of a tornado and a train wreck and a tsunami and everything. And so here's what we read. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took them as their wives, any that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim, which is a, is a word that we don't use in our common language, and it's probably one maybe you've never heard of before, and it's the first time it shows up. But it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And if you have an old King James version of the Bible, it says the giants. So this gets even more interesting. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, everything. For I'm just doing a reset. I am sorry that I have made them. And then there's like a pivot but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now some of us are going down to Petersburg, Kentucky, which I don't, have you ever been to Petersburg, Kentucky? I would never have a reason to go to Petersburg, Kentucky, except for this. I'm very intrigued by it. This picture. That. You know what that is? It's not a carnival cruise. It's not even the Norwegian. It is the Noah in... <laughs> It is that vessel that God said, Noah, I'm commissioning you to create the structure that will be sufficient in design 
to take a small remnant of everything that I've created and contain it during the duration of what I'm getting ready to unleash. And this up-to-scale model or example of the ark as it is described in the following chapters from what we're reading, Genesis 6 or 9, is really just a description of what the Bible says, literally um, manufactured in such a way that you can go down there and you can get a sense of what the ark was like whenever Noah was called to do what he was called to do. But before we get to this story, maybe you have to ask, why was there a need for an ark in the first place? And as we're reading these chapters, and as I'm telling you what I'm telling you, from God's point of view, he's saying, it's not working. It is really not working. It is so not working. Have you ever said about anything in your life, it's not working? It is so not working. And then you were asking the question behind the question, or what is the story behind the story? And my guess is it is not working because it is not where it needs to be. It's not in order. Maybe it's not working because you're not working in the sense that your life is not, it's not expressing itself in a way that God designed it and you're frustrated. Maybe your life is not working because you're listening to all the voices out there and God says, I want you to come in to hear and hear my voice. And maybe some of us have said, it's starting to work because he's starting to work in me. And I would say that when God said it's not working, it is because by design, everything that was supposed to happen in the way that it was supposed to happen, everything according to its kind was just completely crossing every boundary and everything imaginable was happening in such a way that it couldn't work. And I would even say that the only reason why relationships work is because the parties involved have agreed to bring God into the equation so that it can work. But in this case, everybody except for one man and his family had said to God, we don't want you. The New Testament, because it refers to the story behind the story, looks backward and it said Noah preached to those guys for 120 years and they still would not pay attention. And maybe God in your life and mine has said, I've been trying to talk to you for a long time. It's not working and you're still trying to do the same thing, the same way that you always have and expecting a different outcome and it's not working. And if we go back to the story, we discover it doesn't work because we're listening to the wrong voices instead of the voice of God. And I don't know how to say that anymore. And if I could just say that and end it and take up an offering, that would be great. But we have to process this together. As this unfolds, 
a really strange thing happens just to show how cosmically out of whack it is. And that's that statement that we just read. The sons of God married the daughters of men. Now be honest, how many of you have ever wrestled with that question and you've wondered, what does that mean? Okay, I, I certainly have. And, and I, I can tell you that no one for certain has arrived at a definitive conclusion. But here's a couple of options. One is, if I could just show the graph of the line of Seth and the line of Cain. This is pretty critical in these chapters. One chapter has the descendants of Cain. And it talks about each of the characters to limited degrees and what they contributed or how they acted. And the only beneficial outcome that you see from this line is that there was a guy named Jubal who we get our word Jubilee from, who was responsible for inventing instruments. And then there was a guy named Tubal, which I guess maybe that's where we get our idea of a tube from. But he was responsible for inventing technology as they understood it, working with metal and that sort of thing. But apart from that, their contribution was focused mainly on their own interest. This line of people that we see live their lives in a way that shut God out. And, they, and, and if you thought the violence of Cain towards his, um, his brother was bad, if you thought the sexual boundarylessness of Cain towards his wives was bad, all you have to do is consider how the, 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 the effect of his thinking multiplied through his offspring. And then you know that God's looking at this and all it is doing is compounding with interest. And this is just the bad line that we otherwise wouldn't want to talk about. And then there's this other line over here, the line of Seth. And if you look at all of the characters involved in this line, you find that as the story unfolds, there's a guy named Enoch and he was so righteous that he lived. How many days did Enoch live? Anybody tell me? Anybody know? Anybody remember from Sunday school or from being with kids? I'll give you a clue. It was three, it's an easier to remember one, 365 years. And then the scripture said, and then God said, it's time to come on over. And that's all we know. He didn't die. He just was walking. And then one day he just walked from this place to the place where God is. And that was it. And it was God's way of saying, he's got my heart so much in his sights at every turn that he's not even going to face death. And then he has a son named Methuselah. Do you know how old Methuselah was? 969 years. Now I'm just doing the math here. I'm 54. My knees aren't exactly what they were at 23. Can you imagine? I'm like, Lord, you are either punishing him or he was just good to go. And I, I have to think that if you look at that line of people and they're living 700, 800, 900 years, that's close to six, 7,000 years if you do the math before God says we're done. God is very patient with this as he's patient with you and I. But there comes a point when God says it is not going to work anymore because you just absolutely cannot get it. But God is merciful and he is gracious and he wants all of us to come to repentance, to come to a place where we orient our lives not towards ourselves, but towards him. And some people will say 
that the sons of God were actually those who fell in the line of Seth and the daughters of men were those who are from that family that we don't talk about. And when they met together and had children, the offspring were called Nephilim and in some cases it can be translated differently from giants fallen once. And so some people believe this means that the two lines mixed together and then the whole thing went south. But a lot of people scholars, they have a lot of issues with that, but it is, a, it is a common view. And then there are other people who believe that the sons of God were actually kings, and they weren't very nice ones. And they went to the children of Seth, and they said, we want your daughters because they're very attractive, and we're going to call them for our own wives, and we're going to have children, and these children are going to be beastly. And that's a that's a, that's a theory, but it, it has other issues. And then there's another theory that actually is very popular right now with a lot of scholars, and it's a strange one. And it has to do with the sons of God, which the Bible would call in passages like Job 1 and 2, and in passages like Psalm 82, perhaps even references to Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And in doing so, it's referring to angels, lesser beings. And the, and the whole thinking is that when Adam and Eve sinned, and it was going off the rails, hopefully you're with me still, God said, I'm going to assign angels to oversee people so that if things get too far off the rails, they can nudge them back. And one of the reasons why they feel so strongly that this was the case was because of the thinking that was happening during the time of Jesus and several hundred years before. In a lot of the literature that is written during that time, that is how they interpreted these verses. They basically said God assigned angels and these angels mated with women and they had offspring that were monstrous. And some of you may be saying, wait a minute, because didn't Jesus say in, in heaven there would be neither marrying nor giving in marriage? And scholars would say that it's quite possible that when the writer of Hebrews tells us that be careful who you entertain because you could be entertaining angels. They seem to have this way of shape-shifting how they manifest themselves to us, even having those capacities for reproduction. Now, I don't know about all that stuff. It's only speculation. But the reason why I press into it a little bit is because it, 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 it helps me to understand some things about the nature of evil. In the New Testament, there's a book called Jude. You ever heard of it? It's just a real tiny book right before you tear into the book of Revelation. And maybe you're like, you know, I've read through the Gospels, I read through Paul, and I'm pretty tired by the time I get to Jude. And then I read Jude, and I'm like, I don't know if he makes a lot of sense. And honestly, I used to avoid Jude because I'm like, he doesn't make any sense. Until I thought about this story, and I realized maybe he's referring to that. So in Jude, uh, which is only one chapter, uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 6 it says, and the angels who did not keep the positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And you may be saying, well, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is what he refers to next. Because he quotes a, a, a book that is written by a fellow 
supposedly, allegedly, named Enoch. And it says, on the seventh, the seventh from Adam prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desire. They boast about themselves and flatter others to their own advantage. Okay, I hope you're still with me because I usually don't dig this deep into, in, into, into some of the, the background of this stuff. But because we read our Bibles and we're trying to make sense of it, we have to at least have some explanation for where things uh, uh, lay when it comes to the, the presence of evil. And, and here's essentially the bottom line. There, there is a book that is not in your Bible. So it doesn't have the weight or the authority of your Bible. And many of you have said, don't read any books that aren't in your Bible. And, 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 and I would say read them cautiously. For the Jewish people who didn't have a Bible like we have, they had the writings like the, the, what we have as our Old Testament. And then they had something called the holy writings, the hagiography which were called the, the, the useful books or the, the, the helpful books or the ones that weren't elevated to scripture but provided some explanation nonetheless for things that are happening. And so they were highly regarded books. And one of those books was the book of First Enoch, not Second or Third Enoch, just in case you get on the internet right now and you're like, I'm, I found the app, now I'm going to read that. Let's say you're not doing that right now. And you're thinking, well, what, where is the pastor going with this? Well, the, the passage we just read, which is pretty short and has more questions than answers. So I can only speculate. But in the book of Enoch, which was read by people in Jesus' day and for a few hundred years prior that we know for sure, and even beyond that, it, it shows up. What it says is essentially a commentary on these verses. It said there were angels who were assigned to help Keep this thing on the rails. There were 70 of them that God commissioned. But they saw the women that they were overseeing, who were, of course, the offspring of the, of the men that they were responsible for. And they said, we want them. And so the book of Enoch says that they made a covenant on Mount Hermon. And they said, we're all going to agree to do this, right? We're going to go down there and we're going we're to take them as our wives and we're going to reproduce with them. And so if you read the book of First Enoch... Chapter 6, 7, and 8, which are very short. It describes it in that manner. Now again, I don't know if that is exactly the case. It is not in the Bible. But it was in the thinking of the people in Jesus' day. It was in the background of their imagination. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Anybody? You're like, well, you're really getting boring, Pastor. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls were documents that were found that were written prior to the time of Jesus. And there was a community that lived in caves up around the Dead Sea. And when they found these scrolls, they found all these writings that really said, yeah, the Bible is true. And that we have copies of it and so forth. But one thing that they found most frequently was the writings of the book of Enoch. It was like they centered a lot of their own thinking from that teaching. Now, that's the only reason why I give a little bit of weight to it. So here's where I'm going with this. I don't know if that happened or not. But I do know this. There is evil at work in the world. I do know this. 
there is a devil who is working against us. We talked about that in the message series we did on Jesus' temptation. And we also know that there were a lot of demons that he was casting out. And some people believe that the offspring of these two boundary breakers, a divine being and a, an earthly human, was a monster that was in the form of a giant that, as bizarre as that sounds, because it wasn't by design, it had a spirit but not a soul. And so when it died, its spirit just was unleashed. And some people speculate, and they did in Jesus' time, that that's where, that's quite possibly where the origin of demons came from. Now that I don't know, and I know I'm digging into an area that is also probably better confined to a Bible study, but I want you to know that demons are real. I don't know where they came from, but they are not in line with God's purposes. So somehow they emerged out of things that had to do with very powerful beings, not doing what they were supposed to be doing, and God relegated them to punishment. Now Jude refers to Enoch as he, I think, speculates on how that scenario played out in influencing evil. The book of 2 Peter chapter 2 also refers to it, and I'll just pop that up there real quick, and then I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, or, or to Taurus is what it says literally, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. And if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood onto the ungodly people, but protected, um, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. And so all of this to try to make some kind of a case that there's a real possibility that the reason why evil is so pervasive in the world is not because there is a, a, a devil or there are demons or there are natural processes that are in chaos. But it's because boundaries, when they are violated, and this was the worst one of all, just create chaos. When, when you take something that be doesn't belong to you, it creates relational chaos. When you tell something to somebody that's not true, it creates chaos. When you sleep with somebody that is not your spouse, it creates chaos. When you do anything that is a violation of God's way, it is a way of stepping across a boundary that he's established into the realm of chaos. And did you know in the Old Testament, the greatest force of chaos was considered to be the ocean, the waters, because they were so unpredictable and uncontrollable that God said, I'm going to take the chaos that I see and I'm going to allow the greatest chaos of all to undo it completely. And then we're going to do a redo. And I'm going to start over. Now there's a whole lot that we have left out. But for the sake of time, I want to just talk briefly about that guy, Noah. Because Noah was the one guy who saw what was happening and he said, I don't want to do that. 
I want to live a life that honors God. And can you imagine being the only guy that honors God on the planet? Can you imagine the type of ridicule he got? Can you imagine how much that escalated when, he, when they said, no, what you're building? And then he tried to explain to them. It's not easy keeping your boundaries in order. Because there's all kinds of forces at work that are telling you, you don't have to. You can do what you want. But I'm standing up here, a reformed bedroom tornado-holic who's found, some, found the Lord and found some order and even found a person to coach me in that. I'm here to tell you that I'm in this room worshiping because I'm tired of listening to those voices out there. And I want to hear something that's true and real. And I know that God has given us this story because each of us have some chaos in our lives. And I also know just as God provided Noah as a means of hope that he's given us Jesus as an even greater means of hope and grace. God loves us so much. But he doesn't want us caught up in the stuff that destroys us. And there's one person who can come into our lives and begin to bring things back into order. But it requires a bloodstained cross that says whatever you've done, you need to be forgiven and released from that. And then it requires an empty tomb that also says your greatest fear, the chaos of an undoing effect of death itself, should no longer be your concern. And those two things are God's way of saying to you and I, there is a way. And it's not too late. And maybe God's tugging at your heart right now because you're seeing how some things fit together. And there's just a one word answer. Jesus. And I just, I, 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 I leave with you this conclusion. And that is if you bring him into your life, those things that God said are after their own kind will begin to be clear. And you will have the wisdom and the truth and I believe the capacity to live the life that God has called us to live under his lordship. Are you listening to his voice? If God's speaking to you and you need to move on it, then I would encourage you to do so during this time as he takes this moment in our attention and emerges it with his love. And maybe God is saying, I want you to take what you've heard and share it with others. And maybe he's given you right now people in your life that have chaos who need hope. And I hope this story helps you to bring it.